0: Whether you're flying in the sky over the mountain range or you're driving from Flagler or Lyman West towards the Rocky Mountains, you notice something about those mountain peaks. The greatness of those peaks, the snow-capped peaks, the ones that are taller, the ones that are broader, the ones that have more trees, There's something you do when you compare these mountains. And by its visual, you can say, that one, right there, that biggest one on the skyline, or as you're looking down from the plane, that's the greatest mountain there. In a similar way, the Hebrew writer, in his description about Christ, shares the greatness of who Christ is. In his position, it compares Christ with the lesser spiritual peaks found under the old law. And by comparison shows, among other things, the greatness of Jesus as high priest of his people. You can look spiritually and see Jesus is the greatest mountain. (coughs) in comparison to any other. Today's sermon is entitled, Lessons from Hebrews. Jesus, High Priest. Greater than Abraham. Greater than the Levitical priesthood. Greater forever. So let's look at the first point. Greater than Abraham. I forgot to mention before, but I have some readers ready to go. I need Hebrews chapter 7, 1 through 2 read right now. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and and blessed him. To him also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. In the story of the slaughter of the kings, Genesis chapter 14, 1 through 17, we find certain what's called vassal kings, kings who are of a lower position than their greater master kings. We find that they rebelled. After 12 years of paying their taxes properly, they finally rebelled. These kings sought to punish those other kingdoms who rebelled. Sodom had one of those kings who rebelled. Since Lot, Abraham's nephew, lived in the vicinity of Sodom, he, his family, and people were caught up in this war and captured. Genesis fourteen eleven through 12 says, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Now Abraham, or I should say at this time, Abram, sorry if I switched the words, uh, heard about this. He heard about what these kings had done, not just to Sodom per se, but to Lot. And he gathered his men, and he gathered his allies, and they defeated those master kings who went up and down that region taking control back of their area. Why did he defeat them? To get back Lot and his family. In so doing, he plundered them and retrieved back Lot and his people. In what is known in Scripture as the slaughter of the kings. And he divided his force against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people, Genesis 14, 15 through 16. Many in that region, I'm sure, were very pleased by what Abraham did and his allies, of course, through God. Two individuals that Scripture speaks about approached Abram. One was the king of Sodom, and the other one was Melchizedek, king of peace and righteousness. First, the king of Sodom. He was in dire straits, though, when those kings pursued him because he and some of his people were able to make it to the hills and get out of harm's way. Genesis 14.10. But when Abram met those two individuals, he did not praise the king of Sodom. He did not have anything really nice to say. Probably the lifestyle of Sodom, as we understand it from Scripture, had a big reason to that. And then, of course, with that kind of lifestyle, the lack of love for God. Abraham spoke to the king of Sodom. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, "I have made Abram rich." Genesis 14:22 through23. But then he talked to a person named Melchizedek. The person, Melchizedek, in Scripture, is shown to have a great love for God. He was even called the priest of the Most High God, or the Highest God. They shared respect for the same God. And Abram showed how great he considered Melchizedek by giving him a tithe of what he had. There's an analogy that's being developed by the Hebrew writer when referencing to Genesis 14 in this situation. Writing the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus the Christ is compared to many things. From prophets of old to angels, from Moses himself to the law of Moses, and even the Levitical priesthood and the high priest under the law of Moses. Now the discussion of Melchizedek comes in the story in reference to the slaughter of the kings. If you were to compare mountains Which would be greater? The one representing the law of Moses and its priesthood, or the one representing Christ and his priesthood? Which would be the greater mountain? The second point is this greater than the Levitical high priest. Somebody read for me Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 14. according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. The priesthood. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. Leviticus 7 verse 11. This statement by itself tells you what about the Levitical priesthood? It wasn't perfect. It could not bring about the true goal of God. Did it do the job and function God designed for it? Sure. Sure. Yes. But the design was not of a high priest who was sinless. It was not designed to remove sins because the blood of bulls and goats could not do that. And its curtain of separation showed a continued relationship problem. We could not cross that curtain. So, since it wasn't perfect in dealing with sin, and having a true relationship with God, the priesthood needed to change. But it wouldn't be based on family heritage, descendancy, the physical things, natural things. The priesthood of Christ or his being high priest is based on who he is. And who he is makes the high priesthood perfect. He can do all that the priesthood under the law of Moses could not do. Namely, truly giving the forgiveness of sins. Only Christ's blood can do that. In a relationship with God without a dividing curtain separating the most holy place from the holy place. It's Jesus that took that away. So there's two things that are brought up in this discussion. One is the tithe and the other is the tribe. Basically, tithe means 10%. So Abraham or Abram giving one tithe to Melchizedek shows respect for someone who is greater than him. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Melchizedek is considered the superior according to the scripture, Hebrews 7, verse 7. So think of two mountains again. One mountain is Abraham. Abraham, Moses, The 12 tribes, Levi, and the priesthood comes from under the law of Moses. That comes from Abraham. All the other tribes paid tithes to the priesthood, right? To Levi. Now this priesthood was made up of sinful men. They are not perfect or sinless, but the tithe they received was still an act of honor and wage Melchizedek the other mountain let's think about him Abram's mountain tithed to Melchizedek's mountain when you tithe you're showing one is greater in a sense so who is superior Melchizedek's mountain And it is to Melchizedek's order, or type, of priesthood that Christ's priesthood is equated. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9. So now we go to the concept of tribe. Another way to show that Christ's mountain peak is better is by understanding his family heritage. Christ had a heritage. You do know that he had a heritage. Both on Joseph's side, which was traced to Abraham, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, and Mary's side, which was traced to Adam. Luke chapter 3, 23 through 38. And his physical heritage has nothing connecting him to the tribe of Levi. He was on the tribe of Judah, on both Joseph and Mary's side. Hebrews 7, verse 14. The point is, his new priesthood is not based on physical man work. No man can say, he comes for me, and look what. It is not based on man's will or physical nature. It is based on who he is and what he did. It is a priesthood more similar with Melchizedek than that under Aaron. And since Abraham honored Melchizedek, the analogy is clear. Christ's priesthood like Melchizedek's, because it is not based on human lineage, it is greater than anything the law of Moses could produce. And isn't that what Hebrews is trying to show overall? The greatness of Christ over everything under the law of Moses. So we have to combine that general thought into this discussion. And this, of course, was by God's design. You see, Christ's role as high priest is by God's design. God's power, not human power. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. That's Jesus! Jesus! He's got power of an indestructible life and there is something you can hold on to that goes, he was sinless. He is God. He will be high priest forever. Nothing can change it. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7, 15 through 17. And the third point, greater power. Forever. Somebody read Hebrews chapter 7, 26 through 28. Aren't you glad that Jesus never had to offer a personal sacrifice for his own sins? Do you realize what that means? In the nature of him being high priest and in the nature of his sacrifice. It's perfect. And when I say perfect, I don't mean mostly. I mean perfect in every way. He never sinned. God and man at the same time who never sinned. And as God who died on the cross for our sins, we can truly benefit from actual forgiveness. He is not bull or goat. He is God, made flesh, whose blood was shed for us. That blood can do what the blood of bulls and goats can never do take away your sin look at these words he is high priest there is no one higher than him in this function or in any other i should say but in this function particularly who is the great high priest that we have, Jesus Christ. He is holy. He is sacred and righteous. He is innocent. Does that mean he never grew up? No. It means he's without fault. He did not commit any wrong. He was not deserving of punishment. He is unstained. When we speak of our sins, we are covered in it. We are covered in it. Dirty and filthy. But Jesus was truly and always white as snow. Always white as snow. Always. He was separated from sinners. No, he did not stand aloof. He did not stand proud. That's not what that means. He joined people and he talked to people. But his action shows that he was cut from a different cloth. He had a mission to save sinners, to save us, and to remain sinless is how he had to do it. And he's exalted above the heavens. Are you afraid that Jesus will grow old and die? Have you ever thought about that there is no need because his priesthood is not based on human strength that fades away like the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood that needed descendants after descendants after descendants after descendants for it to carry on Jesus does not need descendants after descendants after descendants to carry on. He's there, it's set, it's done. It is everlasting. I love that word. I don't understand that word completely, but I love the word. It is forever. Now, Scripture sometimes uses the word forever It can mean a long time or a set time. It doesn't necessarily always mean eternity. Context is will teach you that. But with Christ, his priesthood is truly in eternity. Listen to God. The Lord has sworn with an oath and will not change his mind. You, my son, are a priest forever. You are a priest forever. Forever. No one's ever going to take your place because you're going to get old and worn out and die. You are a priest forever. Now I tell you what, when, when I think of the love I had for my dad, and my mom, but my dad in particular, I got pretty sad when I realized he wasn't going to be here forever. Forever. I couldn't count on him instructing me. I couldn't count on him encouraging me. I couldn't count on the advice that he would give when I had issues or problems with people or otherwise. His humanity took him away. He's not my dad here. But Jesus, when he died, he rose again. He is at the right hand of God. He has taken his place as high priest. And we can count on him because we can approach God in worship and draw near to God all the time. Now. He is now. He is forever. He will never grow old. He will never be corrupted. His blood, guess what? It was as good as the day it first dropped from His forehead or His body on that day at the cross as it is today. It will never diminish. It will never corrupt. It will never lose its potency. Which mountain is greater? The mountain of Christ? Or the mountain of the law of Moses? made with high priests that had to offer sacrifices for their own sins first before they can do the work that they needed to do for the others. Jesus never sinned. And if I'm correct in the idea of Hebrews, that certain Christians were thinking about going back to the law of Moses... Holy cow, that's terrible. They're going back to a mountain that doesn't have the great ski slopes but the little bitty oranges and greens rather than the big diamonds and the blacks. The great peaks. Notice Melchizedek is left out of that quote. That's just something interesting I noticed. Because Jesus is Jesus. His priesthood is the mountain we need to look to. He holds his priesthood permanently, Hebrews 7 24 through 25, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. Don't you want to draw near to God through Jesus? Guess what? Christ will make intercession as high priest. That's the language going on here. Draw near is what priests do in worship. We are priests, according to 1 Peter. We draw near, but he is the high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son. A son. A son. Jesus. Jesus who has been made perfect forever. Did Aaron die? Boy, he did. And we know he wasn't sinless, was he? Boy, he sure made some whoppers out there. Well, the people made me do it, and it just came out. You know, not the greatest example of the perfect high priest. But Jesus is. He sacrificed himself once. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the other, those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 7.27. In the next few sermons, the Hebrew writer is going to share what Jesus gave to the people. In other words, why his comparative spiritual mountain is so much greater than anything the law of Moses could provide he's going to talk about a better covenant he's going to talk about a better sacrifice he's going to talk about a better sanctuary and other aspects of Christ is that his sacrifice is so perfect it was only needed once and that was it once and it's done From the decision of the Godhead before the creation of the world to the human birth of Christ, his physical growth, his ministry, and the fulfillment of his plan on the cross, Jesus, our high priest, willingly put himself up as our forever sacrifice. Forever sacrifice. And as our high priest, he forgave us by the sprinkling of his blood, as the Hebrew writer uses that language. His sacrifice, it will never diminish. It will never waver. It will always be potent for the salvation of mankind as the day the blood dropped from his body. That is a mountain peak. Why would anybody in the world think about going to something else that can't do it at all? So in summary, lessons from Hebrews, Jesus, the high priest, greater than Abraham. From the story of the slaughter of the kings to the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, the Hebrew writer develops an analogy about the greatness of Christ. The second point, greater than the Levitical high priesthood. From the Aaronic priesthood, explanation about ties and Israelite tribal history, Jesus' priesthood stands head and shoulders above all that the law of Moses could give. And greater forever, Jesus has no sin. This truth is forever. Now, if you want to talk about something forever, that's forever, that's permanent, that's always, that'll never change. No sin. He will never grow old. He will never fade away. His priesthood is forever. His sacrifice is without equal. It will be as potent to forgive sins as the moment his blood dropped from his body in Jerusalem. If you doubt the greatness of Jesus, I urge you to read and reread this letter. If you are moved by Christ and what He has done, I urge you to praise Him and tell Him not only in your words but in your actions. And if you need prayers or you would like to come to Christ in baptism, this is a great time to do that. If you come forward now together as we stand and sing.